Welcome to Operation Flourish, a podcast designed to help you flourish in all aspects of life. Whether you're a Miss America contestant, an athlete, or someone with a growth mindset striving to unlock your full potential, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Kayla Myers, Miss Northeast. Let's dive into today's episode. Hi, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Operation Flourish podcast. In this episode, we're talking about sleep today, and this is one of my five pillars of my hashtag choose health movement through the Miss America opportunity, and honestly, in all areas of my life. So if you know me, you're probably smirking and laughing to yourself a little bit because you know I used to be the queen of not sleeping. Now, that's not a great badge of honor to wear, by the way. You don't want to wear that badge. I used to get three to five hours of sleep a night because I was grinding hard. I was working towards my dreams and my goals. I remember my undergrad, I would wake up at 6 a.m. to go teach group fitness. I'd go to weights for cheerleading. And then I would scarf down my protein shake and breakfast sandwich as I literally sped walk across campus to get to class to then go to cheer practice, and then stay up until 2 a.m. at the library doing homework and studying. And then I did it all again, over and over and over again. And then, when weekends came, I also didn't rest. I was doing homework or exploring the city of Philadelphia with my friends. And by the way, if anyone is taking a Philly trip, Please, please, please message me on Instagram, and I will give you all the best recommendations, especially for food. So for all my foodies out there, hit me up. But anyways, back to the story. I was pushing myself to my maximum limits, and I was thriving. Or at least I thought I was thriving at the time. I was being awarded with scholarships for school. I got my dream internship at Fit Academy teaching group fitness, which I love. I earned a 4.0 in was summa cum laude and won a national championship with cheerleading. What could be wrong? I was seriously being rewarded. And as someone in psychology, this means my behavior of not sleeping and not taking care of myself was essentially being reinforced because it always seemed to pay off. And this quite honestly became my norm. And it's a really big issue associated with high achieving and perfectionistic behavior, which is what I have really struggled with. But at the time, I didn't realize it was a problem because again, it was being reinforced through all these rewards in my life. I also used to listen to all these motivational speeches, which sometimes I still do. It's great. It summons your motivation and your ambition. But a lot of these speeches will also say things like, Sleep is for the weak. You can sleep when you're dead. Or you must wake up earlier than everyone and outwork everyone. Ever heard those or maybe even found yourself saying those phrases to yourself? I have. I also remember reading books like The 5AM Club. Great book, by the way. I highly recommend. And yes, it is true that a lot of the most successful people in the world They wake up with the sun, they're early risers, and they take care of themselves and get their work done. But 
if you listen to all those things, they do things for themselves in the morning. They're sleeping. They're pouring back into themselves. It is not true that they never sleep just so they can be on top and outwork everyone else. Do you know why that is? It's because of burnout. We throw the term burnout around quite a bit. But what actually is burnout? Burnout usually happens when we have this prolonged stress that we don't really manage well. It could be a combination of physical stress, maybe stress in your relationships, maybe your environment, workplace stress. I know a lot of people can relate to that. You name it. There are so many different stressors. Typically, part of burnout also includes feeling like you don't have the resources to manage all the stressors in your life, whether those resources be physical resources or just the mental willpower and the sheer energy to manage the stressors in your life. Now, I'm coming from a sport and performance psychology background, so we look at burnout even further and we know that it has three dimensions essentially. And the first I'd like to introduce is emotional and physical exhaustion. Typically what we think of when we think about burnout, right? So emotional exhaustion is when you feel your emotional resources are just completely depleted. That's that mental energy. Whereas the physical side of exhaustion, that might be feelings of physical fatigue or even tension and soreness in your body. The second dimension of burnout, this is a reduced sense of accomplishment. Now hear me out on this one. This means you might be at a point where you no longer view your achievements and your abilities and skills in a positive manner. Maybe you actually start to see them more negatively, which then further contributes to you feeling that you don't have the resources or the skills and abilities to manage your stress. And that final dimension, that's devaluation. This usually means you get to the point where you start to detach from your responsibilities and you start to feel apathetic. You stop caring. Ever felt that before? I know I have, and it can be really upsetting when you stop caring about something you used to be so passionate about and used to bring you so much energy and motivation. That's burnout. Now, not only does something like not sleeping often contribute to burnout, but it can also cause fatigue, mood changes, issues with concentration, impaired memory. I firsthand can talk about that impaired memory one. I would leave my keys everywhere, lock my keys in the car, forget things, and I just really struggled to remember things because I wasn't sleeping. Not sleeping also worsens your immune system. It makes you more irritable. Have you noticed you're more likely to snap at your friends and your family or when something goes wrong, like you drop your water bottle and you get irritable? It also makes you have higher heart rates, higher blood pressure. I could go on and on because the list does not stop about the negative effects of sleep deprivation on your life. This is something I didn't realize until grad school, and I found myself feeling fatigued, unmotivated, and no longer interested in the things that I was once so passionate about. So what happened? All those sleepless nights and lack of self-care, it caught up to me. 
That's what happened. Anyone else been there? Or maybe you're even there right now. It's okay if you are. Obviously, we want to prevent burnout as much as possible. But it's also important to acknowledge some of you might already be there or maybe nearing burnout. If you are there, try your best to give yourself a little grace and take time to take care of yourself. One day of sleep and relaxation will not catch up on that massive sleep deficit that you've acquired. It takes time to recover from a lack of sleep and burnout. For burnout, you wanna find the things that energize you. What are your motivations? And how can we balance that with sleep and relaxation? A little story before we dive into strategies. I vividly remember, I was working on my thesis and I'm studying mental recovery among student athletes and ROTC cadets. And I started deep diving into research about burnout and sleep. Now, ironically, (laughs) I was doing a lot of this research at 2 a.m., having barely slept for the entire semester. And I found myself reading about how sleep increases your depression. It makes your quality of life way worse. And it can even lead to early death and memory impairment. Yeah, that scared me. But I do acknowledge it's really hard when you're in school trying to get good grades and get everything done. Or you have a busy job or work multiple jobs. Or maybe you have kids. We can always say, I don't have time to sleep or time to take care of myself. But if I've learned anything, it's that you truly have to make the time. Because even if you're functioning right now, it will catch up to you. So let's dive into strategies to not only improve your sleep quantity, being the number of hours you sleep, but also your sleep quality. When you get deep and restorative sleep, it helps your memory and your muscles so they can recover. It helps repair your cells so they can be regenerated. It also helps a lot with your mental health and your physical health. Think about your blood pressure. It can reduce your blood pressure and it can also lower your resting heart rate, which is great. It means your heart isn't working as hard to pump out blood and get oxygen to your body. Now, another area that I think is important, I promise the last one before I give you some strategies, but I often have nutrition coaching clients and personal training or group fitness clients who are frustrated because they're coming into their workouts, they're working hard. They're eating foods that fuel them and make them feel good, but they're still not reaching their goals, whether that be weight loss, gaining muscle, or body composition goals, like changing their body composition. And then I ask, how's your sleep? Are you managing your stress? Oftentimes, The answer is, well, I'm not sleeping great. I have kids or, you know, I'm too busy to get good sleep. I'm really stressed. Not sleeping doesn't allow your body to recover, as I mentioned earlier. And it also keeps your stress hormone higher, which can prevent you from reaching your fitness and wellness goals and getting good sleep. It is so holistically important to get good and restorative sleep. 
which is why we're going to dive into some strategies right now. Now, a lot of these strategies will fall under the environment, food and drinks, managing stress and anxiety, and then consistency and routines. So let's start with environment and let's talk about lighting. First of all, during the day before you can think about bedtime, try to spend some time in natural light during the day and that can help with your circadian rhythm. Then when you get to nighttime to further work with your circadian rhythm, which is just that natural biological clock you have in your body that helps produce hormones like melatonin that help you sleep. So at nighttime, if you dim your lighting 30 minutes to two hours before bed, that can be really helpful. And then when you're ready for bed, have a dark space. I have my blackout curtains and let me tell you, you cannot see anything in my room. Now, if you have that annoying light that just blinks like my printer in my room, go ahead and cover it with a tiny piece of duct tape or paper. It does make a difference. Again, our body runs on this circadian rhythm or biological clock, and light is a big thing that affects that. So we're in really bright spaces. What that does is it actually prevents your body from having that melatonin. When we're in darker spaces, that actually promotes melatonin, which is what helps us sleep. That's really important. Now, what about your bed in general for your environment? Is it comfortable? Does it feel like a safe space? What can you do to make that more comfortable? Now, another thing, this is what I see quite a bit, and I am oftentimes guilty of it as well. Make sure your bed is only used for sleep and rest. A lot of people watch TV in bed, take Zoom calls in bed, eat in bed, you name it. I'm guilty of all of those things, quite honestly. But it actually ends up making it so much harder to fall asleep. Because now your bed isn't associated with just sleep. It's associated with all those other things I just mentioned. Our goal is to get your bed associated with sleep. Now here's another big one with environment, temperature. So I want you in your head to take a guess at what you think the ideal temperature for sleep is. Do you have your guess? What if I told you the ideal temperature to promote good quality sleep is 65 degrees. Shocking? I know it was for me. I used to set my thermostat anywhere between 69 and 72 degrees to sleep. But research and doctors support having it anywhere between 60 to 67 degrees Fahrenheit. That's pretty chilly, right? Sleeping in a warm or a hot room, it actually keeps you in lighter phases of sleep. We want you in those deep phases of sleep because that's where we get restoration. That's where we get the deep benefits of sleep. Now, things that can also help is having a cooling pillow. That can help draw heat away from your head. Or maybe you have a fan that can blow on you throughout the night and circulate air. I know apparently my red flag is that I don't use a fan, apparently. Um, another option is opening the windows, having lighter sheets and bedding, maybe lighter clothes. 
Those are all things that can regulate temperature. Now the next one, this is also temperature related, but something you do before bed. I'm a nighttime shower person, not a morning shower person. So if you're showering before bed, hot versus cold, which one is better before bed and should I even shower before bed? What do you think? I'm here to tell you that research, not me, but research supports the hot shower. That's because before bedtime, when you're getting ready to fall asleep, your core body temperature, it actually naturally cools. It's a process within our system and our body. And your hand and feet skin temperatures increase a little bit. And then when you're showering, there's a phenomenon called the warm bath effect. And this is where a warm or a hot shower it actually can help the natural temperature regulation process and it can actually improve your sleep. So it aids in that process as our body gets ready for bed. Now, again, I'm a research girl, so there are so many studies and meta-analyses which just pulls together a bunch of studies and analyzes them. And these support warm and hot showers as a way to improve your sleep. Now, not to geek out too much on research, but the one meta-analysis, it finds that Shower temperatures between 104 and 108.5 degrees Fahrenheit improve your sleep quality, and that showering one to two hours before bed seems to help people fall asleep much faster. Now, I'm not saying you have to measure your temperature to get it exactly 104 and 108.5 degrees. Honestly, that sounds really hot, and I don't know what my temperature is. But in general, it seems that a warm or hot shower can help with sleep. Similar with exercise, that's also going to warm your body. So if you do that two to four hours before bed, it also seems to help with that temperature regulation process. Think about it this way. Your body is really warm when you're showering or exercising, and then it cools down. So it makes that shift in temperature even more dramatic, which signals to our brain and body, it's time to sleep. So what about that cold shower? Well, Research is pretty mixed on the cold shower. You know, I've seen the cold plunges and polar plunges everywhere. Now, I don't know if this is just my strange Instagram algorithms controlling my feed, but I'm seeing everyone do the cold plunges all over Instagram. So what about the timing of these polar or cold plunges? Well, what I've seen, at least on my Instagram feed and in some of the research I've done, most people do them in the morning or during the day. Research really doesn't consistently show that they help with sleep. It's really mixed on cold showers before bed and how it can impact your sleep. But a lot of the hypotheses, which is just what researchers take logical guesses based on information, they don't really support cold showers to help with sleep. And that's because we know that cold water is kind of similar to a stimulant. So think about that morning coffee you drink. Cold water actually raises your cortisol, which is your stress hormone. And it also raises norepinephrine, so think like adrenaline. And as these hormones get higher, so does your level of alertness and being awake and ready to go. When your body goes to sleep, you want your cortisol to decrease, not increase. We don't want to be more alert. So, pulling from that, cold water is probably better in the mornings or for that afternoon pick-me-up when you're starting to crash. Now, 
If you prefer to shower in the morning, great. But if you'd like to add something to your nighttime routine, you're going to be clean going into your sheets too as an added benefit. And that hot or warm shower can really help with that regulation of your body temperature. So we talked a lot about environment and different things that you can do. Again, to recap, you can control your lighting. You can make sure your bed is just for sleep and that it's comfortable. You can control your temperature, keeping it cooler, and maybe doing that hot or warm shower or exercise about two hours before bed. Now, let's move on to food and drinks. Anyone else get the late night munchies? I am always hungry before bed, and I crave sweets. But did you know that this might actually be the culprit as to why you're not getting sleep? Well, now you do. When you eat before bed, you're making your digestive system work, which can actually make it hard to stay asleep or to get into that deep and restorative sleep that we want. So before bed, you ideally want to avoid large and high-calorie meals, especially foods that are high in saturated fats and simple carbohydrates. Think about like those sugars and stuff like that. You'll typically also want to avoid spicy foods because they can cause indigestion and acid reflux. I know I experienced that. Or foods with a lot of sugar, as I mentioned, which is my weakness. Because they negatively impact your sleep quality. Now, I don't want you to think I'm telling you to go to bed hungry. As a nutrition coach through Precision Nutrition, that is absolutely not what I'm about. I'm all about mindful eating and listening to your body. So if you're hungry... Let's listen to your body. But we want to do our best to choose foods that aren't going to negatively impact your sleep. In an ideal world, we time out our foods so we eat a larger meal three to five hours before bed. But life happens. I get it. I get home from the clinic sometimes at 11 p.m. And I obviously need food. So if you find yourself hungry before bed, it's not game over. You haven't failed. Your sleep does not have to be ruined. There are actually foods that can help you with your sleep, and they're often high-fiber and low-saturated fat foods. So for instance, some examples, fruits like kiwi, bananas, and tart cherries are great examples. None of the super added sugar stuff. Foods that are high in magnesium are excellent. Magnesium is actually a supplement that a lot of people will take to help with sleep. We know that magnesium, this nutrient, it's associated with better quality sleep. So you can try eating leafy greens, for instance, like spinach. You could have nuts, seeds, and black beans, all as great examples to get more magnesium. Now, another area is herbs. So sage and basil, they have chemicals that actually reduce tension and can promote sleep. Now, As far as herbs, you do want to avoid things like black pepper and pepper flakes because they actually stimulate you, which is not what we want as we're getting ready for bed. Similar to herbs, we have teas as well. Teas can really help with that calming and relaxation effect. So think about chamomile, passionflower tea, or even peppermint tea. Now, more on food. You're pretty hungry. Lean proteins like low-fat cheeses, chicken turkey, and fish. These are all foods that are high in an amino acid. So going back to biology class for a sec, proteins are made up of amino acids. 
And those lean proteins that I mentioned are made up of the amino acid tryptophan. Now tryptophan, it helps increase serotonin levels and it can help improve your sleep. So you can find this in egg whites as well, soybeans, and pumpkin seeds. All great snacks and foods before bed if you are hungry. Now, we say avoid saturated fats. What you can see on the labels of your food, if you look at the fats, it should say saturated fats and how many grams. But unsaturated fats, they can actually improve your serotonin levels and can help you sleep. So for instance, walnuts, almonds, cashews, and pistachios, all the things I can't eat with my nut allergy, but they're great examples of unsaturated fats that could help you sleep. Whereas you may want to avoid things like potato chips, for instance. Those are high in saturated fats. So it's not always just cutting out a type of macronutrient, which is fats, in general. It's diving into what types of foods are you eating. Saturated, which we don't want before bed, versus unsaturated, which can actually help you with your sleep. Now, not a food, but drinks. Let's talk about caffeine. Obviously, we want to avoid caffeine before bed. Most people know this is a no-brainer, but you really shouldn't have it after 2 p.m. And I know I said I'm talking about drinks here, especially the coffees, but chocolate also has caffeine in it. So being aware of things like that. Now another drink. Let's talk about alcohol. A lot of people think alcohol helps them sleep better. I actually heard this the other day when I was at a concert. But it's actually so much worse for your sleep. Sure, you know, it might help you fall asleep faster initially, but it doesn't help with your sleep quality. And that's shown by research. It actually disrupts your sleep cycle, so you end up waking up more and not getting into that deep REM sleep that we want. So again, making sure we're really cautious and thinking about the foods that we eat before bed and the things we drink before bed and just being a bit more intentional. Again, listen to your body, have fun, enjoy the things that you eat and that you drink. But if you're struggling with sleep, just know this might be a culprit. So shifting to our next area of focus, let's talk about stress and anxiety. Let's say you're listening right now and you're thinking, well, Kayla, my environment is right. I'm not eating or drinking right before bed. I'm exercising during the day. And I've even tried hot showers, but I still struggle to fall asleep. Well, that can happen. My next question would probably be, Are you in your head going on and on about the things you maybe wish you would have said or done? Thinking about your to-do list for tomorrow? Or maybe overthinking a situation? Yeah, I can relate. This high stress, high anxiety, and rapid thinking can make it so much harder to sleep. So how can you stop? That's the real question, right? Have you ever tried journaling? I know a lot of people recommend journaling and we throw it around a lot. And we often don't listen because we think it can't be that simple of an answer. But what is common sense to us most often isn't common practice. So we know we should do these things. 
but do we actually try them and give them a real shot? Now, let's say you try journaling and you're like, well, where do I start? It doesn't have to be perfect and there's no one right way to do it. You could do a whole brain dump where you just write everything you were thinking about in a completely unorganized fashion. Maybe you have journal prompts that you respond to so you can focus and slow down your brain. Or maybe you write out that to-do list for tomorrow so you get it out of your head and you know exactly where to start tomorrow. I personally do that and I find it so helpful. Did you also know that people who journal, they tend to have better well-being ratings and it helps you fall asleep because now the thoughts have left your mind and they're on the paper instead of your head. Now, I know that's not for everyone. I recommend trying it, but it's not for everyone. So another option that you can do to relax and get your thoughts out of your head and to slow down is trying meditation or listening to calming sounds or maybe getting a white noise machine. This is because we focus from the thoughts in our head onto something else like sounds that can actually help us fall asleep. So I recommend this app called Insight Timer and they have a lot of guided sleep meditations that I absolutely love and they help me so much. Now as someone who has done a lot of research on music and the frequencies and how it affects sleep for my thesis, there are actually certain frequencies that a lot of these programs use for sleep that help your body fall asleep. And one of the things they do is called binaural beats. So different beats go in one ear and in the other ear and it can help with sleep. Now you don't have to know about binaural beats or be an expert on them by any means, but some of them will actually say with binaural beats and those can be really helpful too. So that's a nice little tip for how you can relieve some of that stress and anxiety. But of course, I had to save the best for last because what ultimately is most helpful for promoting good quality sleep where you get to those deep REM cycles, it's actually just consistency and routines. If you create consistent sleep habits, that's the most important thing. Have you ever met that person that doesn't need an alarm? They just wake up naturally at the same time every morning. I know I was doing research in a hospital and I met this man and he said for the past 50 years, he has never missed a day of work. He just naturally wakes up around 6.30 a.m. Wow. And you know why that is? It's oftentimes because they make sure to go to bed at a good time, get enough sleep, and they stay on schedule with these really great sleep habits. Going to bed at that similar time and practicing a lot of the above habits that I mentioned, they can make sure that our body gets in this strong circadian rhythm that promotes sleep and consistency so we can feel better and take more control of our sleep. I could not recommend more setting a bedtime and that means the time where you start winding down before bed. Maybe that's an hour, two hours, three hours before bed that you start winding down. And if you can get a solid nighttime routine there, that's so helpful. 
And things I recommend putting in your nighttime routine, there's a 3-2-1 rule that we often use in performance psychology. And this rule goes, no food three hours before bed if possible. Again, if you're hungry, I gave you great options for snacks and foods you can have before bed. But in an ideal world, no food three hours before bed, so our body can worry about sleeping, not digesting. The next one is no work two hours before bed. Now I understand this isn't always possible, but again, if you can try to get your work done earlier, it can help you detach from work, which is very healthy for your mental well-being and can reduce some of that stress and cortisol levels so you can actually fall asleep and have a peaceful and restorative night of rest. And finally, no screen time one hour before bed. Now I know we're almost all guilty of this, including myself, but we know screen time is so detrimental to sleep. So how can you put that phone away an hour before bed? Now again, no food three hours before bed, no work two hours before bed, and no screen time one hour before bed. Maybe even put your phone on do not disturb. I know those sound like very strict limits of three hours, two hours, one hour. Maybe you just start right now, no phone 15 minutes before bed. Then a week later you do 30 minutes before bed and you keep building up to hit these time limits. Again, it's what works best for you and your life and schedule. But a lot of these tips are evidence-based. They're proven by science. And now one more thing here about routine. Maybe napping is part of your daily routine, or at least some days. So I encourage you to schedule your naps. Maybe you limit your naps during the day to no more than one hour and keep them before 3 p.m. because if it's after that, it can actually ruin your night's sleep. And ideally, 15 to 20 minute naps are ideal. Again, I could not stress more the importance of actually scheduling out your sleep and managing your time. It's going to be so important, which is why next week, we're actually going to talk about morning and nighttime routines in more depth. Going beyond the three, two, one rule I gave you, what else can you do to implement a strong nighttime and morning routine that not only transforms your sleep, but can also transform your day and transform your life. Sounds too good to be true, but I promise there is a lot of power in morning and nighttime routines. And with that, see you next Thursday. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Operation Flourish podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe, leave a review, and share on your social media or with a friend. It goes a long way. See you next Thursday.